We're going to continue to look at the Lord's Prayer. Those of you who haven't been with us the last five weeks, we've been looking at the Lord's Prayer. And as we look through Scripture, all of Scripture, there's, there's gold there. But when you bump into the Lord's Prayer, it's like just nuggets, just not just little gold flakes. This is some solid truth for our life. And so um, let me just go through the words of the Lord's Prayer. Next week on Easter, we're going to pray this together. Uh, we've been encouraging you to pray this all leading up to Easter, these last uh, several weeks of Lent. We've just said, hey, grab one of those pocket crosses in the foyer. There's some little olive uh, wood pocket crosses that could be just a reminder for you to pray the Lord's Prayer four times a day. And so we've been just looking at phrase by phrase the Lord's Prayer. And when you look at it, you see what we pray, but then you think about, like, what's my attitude when I pray this? As, as a pastor preaching this, there's been no shortage of sermons that have been preached in the past about the Lord's Prayer. But it was Charles Spurgeon who I was reading, and uh, he, he just pointed out these different positions. When we say different parts of the Lord's Prayer, what we say it as. And so looking at this, we say, Our Father who art in heaven, we say this as a child away from home. When we say, hallowed be your name, we're saying this as a worshiper. We're saying this as a worshiper. I think there's a chart for this, Michaela, on the screen so they can follow along. If you like to take notes, boy, today's your day. Um, I actually have notes on the screen. When we say, thy kingdom come, we're saying, God, I'm a subject of your kingdom. You are my king. When we say, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're approaching God as a servant. When we say, give us this day our daily bread, we're saying, I'm going to die without you. I'm going to die without you. When we say, forgive us as we forgive others, we say, I'm a sinner. And finally, the last part we're going to look at before Easter is, is this. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And we're saying, you know what? I'm, I'm in danger in the future. I'm a sinner in danger of being even a greater sinner. And so this is a, a watchful part of the prayer. We've said that the last little bit of this prayer deals with our, our present, our past, and our future. The present, give us this day our daily bread. Our, our past, forgive us. Forgive us our trespasses. And the future and a little bit of the past is in this last bit. This forward thing says, God, I need led. I need delivered from evil that is in my past. I need delivered from evil that is coming in my future and even in my present. There is no time that a Christian should be slumbering when it comes to prayer. There's no time that we should just be sitting back and say, well, we, we've got this. Uh, Pastor Isaac shared on his Facebook this week this quote by this guy named Peter Gregg, who said, a Christian who prays only when they feel like it may survive, but will never thrive. Think about that. I mean, just praying when things, man, we're going in the ditch, we better pray. Or we're in the ditch, we better pray. What if we would pray all the time and we might do more than just survive? When we look at the last three petitions of the Lord's Prayer, I want you to see that we're asking for provision, we're asking for pardon, we're asking for protection. We're asking to 
provide us, because otherwise we die. God, you sustain us. We say we need your pardon, otherwise we'll live in despair. We need that forgiveness in our life, and we need your protection, otherwise we're going towards destruction. If you speak English, this sermon is for you. If you're in the room or joining us online, temptation is something we all face. And it's the ending of this prayer. Now there is, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. You've heard that with the Lord's Prayer. And if you've got a modern English translation, there's usually a footnote that says, this doesn't seem to be original. This doesn't seem to be what we would say in the early manuscripts of the Scripture. It's one of the few places in Scripture, but usually we note that in the transmission of the Scripture. We're serious about getting right what what God said to us. So the doxology, you know, you can find the, that wording in the Psalms. There's nothing about it that's, you know, evil or something like that. And we will continue to pray. It's a great way to end the Lord's Prayer. But some people would want to end the Lord's Prayer even earlier and leave out this whole lead us thing. Leave out this whole God deliver us thing. Many people want to and John 3.16, right? Like, it's a good verse. It's a great verse. The gospel in a nutshell, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. But one of the sad things that I've observed in the church over, and even our church, I don't just say the church. I mean, I've grown up in, in a church fellowship. But we often focus so much on, like, correct belief in the sense of having just right doctrine. Just get it right in your head. You got it right in your head? Did you pray a prayer once? Did you believe? Okay. And and I don't want to discount that entirely. But what if we would continue to pray, not just God forgive me, but God lead me. I want to follow you is part of what you're saying when I I say I want you to lead me. When when the word deliver us from our trust, uh, from deliver us from evil. This is a somewhat of a violent word, a very expressive word. Break our chains, loose our bands, pluck us from evil. Let's not end the prayer early with just forgiveness. Oh, we can, we can sin and sin all we want because he's just going to forgive us. Do we forget about the relationship part of this? Or are we just only interested in the forgiveness? The Lord's Prayer has such great, simple theology of, it's, it's the gospel. But it's not just supposed to be a pat on the back. We're saying to God, I need your help. I'm stuck. I'm stuck like that boat in the Suez Canal, Right? Like, I've ran hard aground. And like Ross from Friends said, it's time to pivot. There's some excellent pictures out there right now of, of this, this boat. I mean, these, these boats are huge. Our thousand, like, I think this is 1,200 feet long. Our thousand footers, but then these are almost 200 feet wide. Stuck. And some of us feel like that. We feel like every, you know, 12% of the world's trade is stuck behind us. So how... How do we pray this? And what, what does this mean? Why do we even have to ask God this? I mean, of all of the stuff I read about the Lord's Prayer, only a few were asking the same question. Why do I have to pray that he would not lead me into temptation? Is there 
A deal in which if I don't pray that, he actually is going to lead me into temptation? Is that what God does? Well, James 1.13 says God doesn't tempt us. But then in Matthew chapter 4, it does say, the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. So which is it? Maybe we should understand the word temptation a little bit. The word lead us is, is pretty simple there. The New Living Translation tries to soften and say, don't let us yield to temptation. And I, that's certainly the idea here. But why did Jesus say, don't lead us into temptation? So the word temptation, we often, in, in, our, in our modern minds, just think about this seduction towards evil. And that's not wrong. And that's actually how the scripture would use this, this particular Greek word that's used more than a few times throughout the New Testament to talk about this, this seduction towards evil, that Satan would tempt, that evil would draw us. But the same word is also used around the words of trials. And we know that trials are actually something that God uses to grow us. Like, like heavy weights inside a, of a gymnasium, he says, I'm going to test you. There's going to be a trial here. But we pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation. There's some power in that that we're saying, God, I actually believe you can transform my desires so that even though pretty much every situation has a test and a trial to it, a temptation possibly. God, I know that you can change me so that, that I, the desire to sin is fulfilled by the good things that you offer. The scripture says in Psalms, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desire of your heart. John Piper calls it Christian hedonism. That God has implanted desires in us. And he's created a way, righteously, in a good way, that those desires can be fulfilled. And so we are to drink richly from the fountains of God's grace. And so the desires we have are not bad. It's that they're to be met in him. So those desires are, are changed so we know what's real and what is fake. We know what is just bait with a hook in it. And we know what is real. Pretty much every situation, every situation has an opportunity. Satan wants to take things for evil. God brings you to situations and he wants to grow you. He wants to develop you. Satan wants to defeat you, drive a wedge between you and God, and bring you further from him. And again, these are often around the same event. We see this in the book of Job. One of the most difficult times in Scripture that anybody experiences, this guy who loses everything only because God allowed Satan to do this. And Job does not immediately take the bait to sin. Even though his wife says what is very plain, like, curse God and die, Job. Like, everything's messed up. And he said, are we going to just accept good things from God and not bad? And then he, got a, he had a little longer conversation with God, as many of you know. But right together, there's test, there's trial, there's temptation. When? When are we tempted by the devil? I made a list here for you, if you like lists. One, when we're at our weakest. 
When we're at our weakest, Jesus was tempted after he had fasted for 40 days. You think you've been hangry. Fast for 40 days. And that's when Jesus is tempted. There's Esau, who, who's tempted by his brother to sell his birthright. He's at his weakest. He's famished. Another time we're tempted is after a victory. So at our, at our highs or at our lows, remember Elijah does this amazing thing where he calls down fire from heaven, and then he goes into a pity party. I'm the only one left. We're tempted when we're at peace, when, when we're idle. Remember King David and Bathsheba? Remember the setting, the timing for that temptation? When he was being idle in a way that seemed like he shouldn't have been. And, and we're tempted by the devil just persistently. So if you don't like to take long notes, just say in your notes, we're tempted by the devil all the time. I mean, high, low, snowing, spring, whatever. No matter what, you're going to be tempted. And so with that, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, Be alert and of a sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Be alert. Be of sober mind. Don't be drunk. You know, when, when people are younger, there's a temptation. And I gave into it. I grew up in a, in a good Christian home. But I didn't like it because other people would tease me about the things that were actually good things. Oh, Brooks, he never swears, right? Like, they, they started to treat me like I was some namby-pamby, holy, soft, and pious person. And I didn't like it. And so I gave in to the temptation. I, I didn't want to, I wanted to appear like a, a swashbuckling adventurer, so I started swearing. Like, that fixed it, right? No, that didn't fix anything. There's this thought that, you know, people need to see me as a daredevil, not as an innocent. And a lot of people pierce themselves with many griefs because when they're young, they want to appear like, oh man, I'm, I'm not just, one of those. They've begun some indulgence or some habit because they didn't want to, you know, ex appear somehow less experienced in worldliness, William Barclay calls it. Friends, if you're young or if you're old, one of the great defenses against temptation is simply the courage to be good. The courage to be good. Friends, you've got to tell your kids it's going to take some courage to be good because people will tease them and maybe a thought that comes to mind is, you know what? Maybe if I appeared more whatever to these folks, I'll fit in. It's a temptation when you're young. When you're old, it's a temptation to just, well, I know my sins, I'm kind of, I've, I've found a way to deal with them. I, I, they're not, I've found a way to live with the devils that live in my home. Why have we settled? Why have we settled? And why have we settled for a definition of temptation as only doing wrong things? As a believer, it shouldn't just be about what we do. Uh, what we don't do, but about what we do. James says, 
that when we know what we ought to do and then we don't do it, we sin. Talk about a verse of the Bible you wish you didn't know. Like, you, you already feel guilty enough. But then God says, when you know what you ought to do and you don't do it, you sin. Now, I'm so thankful for, give, for forgiveness. This is not some guilt and shame party because we've been there. We give in to desire, we are deceived, and then all of a sudden there we are back at shame again, and then we're deceived again. And so we've got to step out of that cycle, and it's not just let's try harder. We have to recognize the truth is that in times of pain, Satan wants us to curse God. God wants us to trust him. In times of pleasure, God wants us to thank him, but Satan wants us to idolize and go, oh, it's the thing that God gave you. Keep going after that thing or that feeling, that notoriety, that relationship. Go after that rather than a thankfulness to God. Idolize the stuff. And so we have to understand temptation if we're going to defeat it, not just try harder. We have to understand that temptation, to be strongly tempted even, does not mean that you've actually sinned. There's a difference. There's a difference between walking past the, the dessert thing at Penny's Kitchen and buying everything in it, right? Like, one is just to have eyes and to, to go, man, that looks good. But it's, it's another thing to walk past it. And we all have different temptations. For some of you, that doesn't tempt you, right? Like maybe, maybe I don't even have to come up with a bunch of maybes. We're tempted in different ways. And unfortunately, sometimes we start to pigeonhole ourselves or we pigeonhole others based off of their temptations. I love what Pastor Kent Pixley says, he's a Wesleyan pastor, missionary. Um, he said, we are doing people a huge disservice when we encourage them to define who they are based on their temptations. Chew on that for a little bit. I mean, do you hear that? Like we, we struggle with different things. But in another way, the scripture says, if you have your Bibles, you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, because if we're going to understand scripture, we should look at more scripture. It's the best way to understand scripture. We see that we're all tempted in many ways. But there is a huge problem when we start defining people by their desires instead of their victory in Jesus. I, I grew up in a church that somehow, some reason, I, I have some ideas of who might have introduced it, but there was this thought like, Everybody was just like, ah, oh, we're just all sinners. Come join the show. And somebody said, should we be saying that? Aren't we saved? Doesn't God call us his dear children, holy, dearly loved children? And here we just keep saying how broken we are. No, I get that there's no place for plastic smiles in the church. In a real fellowship, there has to be sincerity. And we don't have to act like we have it together. But shouldn't we be praying the part of the Lord's Prayer? Shouldn't there be some victory over temptation, not just a sin-reporting system that some have settled for in the church? We just settle for reporting our sins to each other and to God. So I said it's not about, it's not so much about trying harder, 
It's, it's a lot about relationship. Self-control is one of the fruits of the Spirit. But the relationship with the Holy Spirit of God, the relationship with God Almighty who lit the fire of the church, that's what changes us. Many of us think we're the only ones who face certain dilemmas. But 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation, the trial, the testing to be more than you can stand. But when you are tempted, he will show you a way out. He'll make a way out so you can endure. So friends, we don't buy it here when you say, I couldn't resist. It would go against what the scripture says plainly. Jesus died on the cross more than just to forgive us, but to cleanse us so that we would be people, the scripture says, of his very own, eager to do what is good. Eager to do what is good. I don't know if it was on an episode of Seinfeld or just listening to him tell his, uh, tell his jokes like he did does, but uh, I remember he was talking about visiting the eye doctor, and this resonated with me. He said, you just want the eye doctor to tell you one of two things. You want him to tell you that you have the best vision he's ever seen in his life, and he wants to get his picture taken with you. That, like, we don't even have a word for how awesome your eyes are. Or you want him to say, you have the worst eyes in the world, and he's getting out his textbooks. I don't know. Maybe, maybe you're not like that, but I always, like, I want to be the outlier. Like, I'm trying so hard that he's going to say, wow. I mean, not every doctor you want to say, wow. This doctor's like, you just want to be like, just, just keep the normal sort of stuff going. But sadly, that's how many of us think that we're struggling in this world. Satan wants to isolate us. He wants you to think that nobody else is struggling with what you're struggling with. He wants you to feel alone. Because you might actually lean on somebody else and find victory. You might quit giving in to that shortcut. I mean, that's so many times what temptation is. It's, it's trying to take an unholy shortcut to get somewhere. And you, you're, you're just going to be ruined along the way. We need to enter into open and honest community with others. And we do that when we realize we're not alone. James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, talk us through what happens with sin. With temptation, it says, temptation comes from our own evil desires which entice us, drag us away. These desires give birth, or the NIV says conceive, and, and they give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. This, this confirms what we read elsewhere in Scripture, that the wages of sin is death. Sin, on your W-2, gives you death. That's what it pays. That's what you get. And so temptation comes along and it says, when it conceives, when it entices us and drags us away. So the desires have to be met 
in Jesus. They have to stay in their proper channels, and they need to be changed so we recognize and enjoy the real thing that God offers. We all have desires. We have desires for a relationship with others, and that's good. God wants us to have those, but he doesn't want us to get them through lying or gossiping. We have, we have sexual desires. That's great. God wants those within marriage. Or for those who have been given the gift of singleness, that desire is just not even there. The desire to worship something bigger, the desire to create, the desire to be special in someone's eyes, these can be met in, through righteous ways in God's eyes, through ways that he has ordained. But evil is coming to this world. And, and you don't have to read very far in the scripture to see that Satan will say something. Remember around the fruit, remember around the tree, Satan says, did God really say this? Did he really give this command? Satan will cause you to doubt that God knows you, that he knows best, that he loves you. Did God really say that? And he will bait the hook. Satan will bait the hook. And he'll say, others are getting away with it. They're getting the food, but they're not getting the hook. That's a lie. God will leave us to choose our things, but there will be consequences. It gives birth to death. Sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. And sadly, sometimes what the church has decided to do, and even our church, you know, my mom grew up in this church, Sometimes it's just, well, we'll just put things on a high shelf where we can't touch them, right? Like, so, so if, if there's a sexual desire, we'll just all wear clothes that don't show a thing. If, if there's issues, we'll just make rules around things so that we can't do it. But we're the ones making the rules of do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. You know, I try and do this with, like, Reese's Pieces, you know, like, where I should win the battle is at the store, not buying them. But instead, I'll put them on a high shelf in my house that I can reach just fine. But I've hidden them from myself. Or I'll put, put it out in the garage fridge, like my legs will be broken later, like I won't be able to go there. I, we've tried so many ways to manage sin. What if, church, we asked God to help eradicate it? Fill those desires that we have with good things in a relationship with him. One of the other bozo ideas I heard in my church growing up down in Indiana, maybe I heard it at home, I don't know. Sorry, Mom, if you said this, but like, I remember somebody saying, like, well, imagine Pastor Mike is with you when you're thinking of doing something bad. Like, I don't want to think of Pastor Mike all the time. Like, maybe Pastor Mike would be cool with this, right? What if better than that, we have the presence of God? And that's why we pray. We pray about temptation. We pray about being set free, from, delivered from evil. And so here's, here's four ways, and they're all relationship things with God. God's word first. If we want to overcome temptation, God's word. When Jesus was tempted, remember, he was saying, it is written. And he had to know the word of God. Obviously, he wrote it. But Satan tried to twist the words of God himself. We need to know God's word. 
We need to know that there's, there's great examples of failure in God's word. You go, oh, I don't want to do that. I mean, honestly, that's some more of Scripture. You see more parenting don'ts than parenting do's. If you think favoritism is a good idea, just read a little bit of the Bible. It doesn't work out for parents. And so we have to learn from God's word. We have to flee from temptation. This is something we learn in God's word. Um, Burn the bridges on the roads that go back to hell for you. Remember in... It, last summer, we looked at the Ephesian church. I bet we were outside. And in the city of Ephesus, the word of God came, and all of these people who used to practice witchcraft and sorcery, these pagan things, they brought together all of these scrolls that they had with evil incantations and all of this sort of just uh, occult paraphernalia, and they burned it. And it was notable how much it was all worth. And I know there's some things in your life that are worth something. I will tell you, burn those things. Remember what Jesus said, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut that baby off. If your eye causes you gouge it out. Flee from that stuff. Remember Joseph in Genesis in Potiphar's house? He was in such a hurry to get away from this woman that he ran out of the house. We've got to flee and not make it so easy to go back. There's a story told of a father who told his son, Son, don't go swim in that canal. Okay, Dad, he answered. But he came home carrying a wet bathing suit that evening. Where you been? demanded the father. Uh, swimming in the canal. Didn't I tell you not to swim there, said the father. Yes, sir, he said. Why did you? Well, dad, I had my bathing suit with me and I couldn't resist the temptation. Why did you take your bathing suit with you? So I'd be prepared to swim in case I was tempted. So many ways that we bring our bathing suit with us. We got to burn that stuff. There's some relationships, we'll talk here about fellowship, right? There's some relationships, they are only dragging you down. Now, I know we got to share the good news of the gospel, and you can, you can bring me to all the scripture where Jesus fellowships with sinners, but guess who was influencing who? In those situations, they weren't influencing him. He was influencing them. So fellowship is so important. Christian fellowship is so important. It's, it's proof, you know, this pandemic has shown some things for what they are, right? It's been revealing. Some people who thought, if I could just be left alone at home, I would, I would be so holy. And some of you, you got locked up at home with your kids and you wanted out immediately. And you're like, that was a lie. I would not, like, I want some of that. So we think, like, if you could just lock me up, I could be so holy. Holiness excels in community, and we need it. This is, it's shown on the reverse how important that is, to have people who, who are close to you. And it's more than just this gathering. I know that in some ways people talk, like, I attend that church. It's, I, I'm okay with that wording, but you should belong you should belong to a group of believers. 
You should belong to a church. It like, it's, it's, you wouldn't say, I'm going to gang. Like, you belong to a gang. That's who we are. The church is just a building. We need help overcoming temptation. Somebody said that fellowship provides witnesses, so that helps them overcome temptation. Well, that's, that's you know, that might keep you out of some felonies if you're like, oh, there's witnesses. But more than that, we should be pushing each other to do the right things. We say, I belong to this church family. Some of you, you know, that you belong to a school or belong to a certain company. They say to you, hey, you represent us when you're out there. You represent the church when you're out there, friends. Sadly, when it comes to living for Jesus, even in our church, there can be people who will hold you back. You say, like, I want to take these risks for the Lord. And there's some people who will say, like, you shouldn't take risks. I want to tell you, get around Christians who are doing good things, not just people who believe the right stuff. There's lots of orthodox Christians, right ideas, but behavior. There'll be good people who will tell you not to do risky things for Jesus. Parents, don't tell your kids to not go into the mission field. Tell them to be courageous in their school. Tell them to pick a career that will glorify God. It doesn't have to be ministry, but point them in a direction where they will have to be led and delivered. And big surprise in overcoming temptation prayer. Pray that you won't be led into temptation. Pray when you are in temptation. Pray after succeeding in staying away from temptation. Thank God. And pray even when you have succumbed to temptation. Pray. It needs to be on the front end is some of what Jesus is saying. He will deliver us from evil, but what if we lead me? No, I don't want to go there. Guys, we have to pray this way. We're not just supposed to. We have to. Not so we can be famous, not so we can be all shining. We're going to get some dents in our armor. But the prayer starts with, Hallowed be thy name. It's about him. We are his children. We are his worshipers. We are his servants. I like how Martin Luther talks about temptation. He says, you can't keep birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from making a nest on your hat. Some of you need to get rid of that nest. Temptation is going to come. But are you ready? I mean, some of those kids, they have it so right and just simple word like, don't, don't, do, don't just put off now and say, I'll grow later. Put things in perspective. If you really want something far, don't settle now. So we've got a couple minutes I want to spend just in prayer. I'll pray a little bit, but you need to pray a lot. If you need a special place to pray, there's some benches up there. You can kneel. You can pray if you're in your home. Just pray with me. I'll leave some quiet Lord, you're so good. You love us. The only way we would e can even attempt 
to live this way is we have the example of Jesus, we have his sacrifice on the cross, and we're not trying to earn anything and just try harder. We are wanting to say yes to a relationship with you. A relationship on your terms, where we need your pardon, we need your provision, and we need your protection. God, we do pray earnestly that your kingdom would come, your will would be done. And we don't want to just give lip service to that. Father, rock this church. We have a lot of right belief, but we're stumbling in some ways in finding how to to live out our faith. Bless our fellowship. God, we know that it's important how we organize and we want to do that well. Give wisdom there, please. But more than all of that, we pray for just an outpouring of your Holy Spirit that we would walk in relationship with you and that would do more than just control us from the naughty sins of the world that we've, we've labeled some things, but you would do more than that. You'd cleanse us deep within, that we wouldn't just quit the pills and the pornography, but Father, there would be real cleansing deep within us. That the desires that some of those things are trying to fulfill would be found in good things. Father, be with the young. Be with the old. You've called, you've called the young to change this world. They can communicate with millions about your goodness. Father, be with those who are old. You've called, you've called them to more than collecting seashells. So, Father, forgive us and lead us. We've got some things that together we have said are okay that you say that's not okay. So, friends, if you're in the room or if you're joining us online, just you, you know what to say to God. When it's deliver when it's rescue, when it's set free from evil. Even if you don't, just pray right now, God, deliver me. Break those chains. Set me free. Thank you for the freedom, Jesus. Thank you for the forgiveness, the providing that you do for us. Help us to walk in relationship with you. God, I pray that you'd bless this week as we look forward to Easter. We hoot and holler sometimes about the tomb being empty when we sing about it. But Father, I I pray that we would live like it this week. We would live like it forever. But as we celebrate next week, even as we just plan for that, Father, to pray the prayer that you taught us in a thunderous sort of way, I pray that this this week would be just, maybe as we read along in the Gospels, thinking of Palm Sunday, how they called out for you to save. God, there's so much I can say to you, and I will this week. So, Father, thank you for these people who gathered in this time to worship you. I pray a special prayer for our community. Pray for the health of it. Many we know are... um, 
are, are, are kind of locked up in their homes right now. Pray that you'd watch over them. Thank you for all your providing. We pray, God, that you would uh, continue to look after our community. We thank you for this fellowship of believers. May it grow, not just in width, but in depth. Help us to grow. We love you, Lord. Thank you for Thank you for all of the truth of this prayer, and um, may we not just know the truth of it, but would we be set free to love you and love others. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us in person or online today. Take care.